0: I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And yes, welcome guys, Matt Dixon once again. This is the Purple Patch Podcast, and this week... We are gonna take a little tangent. We're gonna take a little deviation into the forest outside of the education highway. We're gonna get into the weeds a little bit today. Well, not quite. We're gonna do some bite sized chunky little questions, athlete questions. In fact, purple patch athlete questions. This is gonna be all about rapid fire. Well, about as rapid fire as I get when it comes to answering performance questions. But we're gonna be covering off in bite sized chunks, Questions related to, number one, maintaining strength in the heart of your racing season. So one for the competing athletes of the listeners. For the tri-nerds, we're gonna talk about the time trial bike, but we're gonna investigate the use of mountain bikes and road bikes as a part of your training. And I'll add that I think the answer might just surprise you. We're gonna dive into fueling. In fact, we're gonna talk about fueling in races and that dreaded bloating. Yes, the watermelon-like stomach that so many athletes get when it comes to the longer distance endurance events. Vacation blues, number four, the panic of an athlete around losing access to a bike for six days. Yes, six days. The world is gonna collapse. Months of training and get flushed down the toilet like a gold or perhaps not. And finally, equipment. Yes, one for the nerds. Those who love to ride bikes. What is the right wheel choice for you? Real athletes, real questions. Why are we going to do this this week? Well, there's a couple of reasons. The first is I thought it might be something different and fresh. But we also spent this week reflecting on the first six months of the podcast. What was good? What can be improved? In fact, we even asked some listeners for some feedback. And we wanted to hear, how can we actually get better? What would you like to hear? And one of the things that was suggested was some athlete questions. Well, luckily, I have some athlete questions. So I thought we'd dive right in. I've also identified this week my hit list, my CEOs, athletes, life stories, and different coaches who I want to bring onto the show. It's quite a list, and I'm looking forward to the next six months of the podcast. And in lieu of our little reflection and time and list building and features and stories that we're going to talk about over the coming six months, we decided that we're going to add a few new features, you know, a little bit of spice as they might call it one piece is as I mentioned to answer your questions so each week I'm going to do a little quick hit right at the end of the podcast around questions and answers on topics that you want to know more of and you can start this week email us all you have to do is email questions that's with an s on the end questions at purplepatchfitness.com. ask anything you'd want I'll pick one two three of the best We'll talk about them at the end of each show. And finally, well, we're doing this because it's summer. Let's mix it up a little bit. Let's take a breather. Let's transition. Let's do something fun. Next week, before we dive into the good stuff, South Carolina. Yes, hot, sweaty, steamy, and sticky. South Carolina. But outside of the heat, the training is a wonderful place. It's great riding, quiet roads, generally supportive traffic, some really fun terrain, that means hills, and it's gonna be the home base for our summer triathlon amateur training camp. And so we're gonna have a lot of fun next week, and I'm planning on capturing some of that fun, and I hope to even do a camp special series of interviews or stories from inside the camp. In the meantime, you can follow along at the Purple Patch Instagram, at purple patch fitness is our tagline and i'll hopefully be delivering some salient points good thoughts updates and even some coaching insights but now let's transition to the good stuff and before we get cracking let's do that word of the week thing we like the way he thinks serious with a the book. it's time to take a peek it's the day. Yes, it is word of the week. And this week, the word is adaptations. Adaptations, a word that is loosely thrown around by athletes and coaches and quite often completely misunderstood. Train hard, adapt. That's how you get stronger, right? Well, perhaps, perhaps, but not always in the way that you think. You see, you will adapt, but that's not always a positive thing. Let me explain. This is a critical piece of your mindset and your mission when it comes to training, and it all begins with stress. To get into adaptations, our word of the week, we must first talk about stress. You see, your training, if you're a triathlete, swimming, cycling, and running, if you're a rower, you're rowing, your training, is a stress, and it is a highly specific stress. In fact, if you have a great training program and a great coach, it is really specific stress. And it is one that places stress on the cardiovascular and musculoskeletal system from which your body will adapt. There is that word. But here's the thing, adapt doesn't mean that you're always gonna get stronger, fitter, faster. You see, your body will always adapt to stress. But it can be positive adaptations or it can be negative. If I pick up this pencil that's in my hand and I grab it at both ends and I start to place stress on it, oh, and it begins to bow, and I start to get worried that I might not be able to break it, but it begins to bow a little bit more, and then hopefully ah, it snaps. That is a negative response to the stress and in your training the same concept applies you see your mission in training is to maximize training stress but and here's the critical part achieve positive adaptations and that simple concept because you can imagine if that's your Achilles tendon it's a negative stress but it is why the mission to place specific training stress and achieve positive adaptations is why we want to take the long lens and be patient when it comes to training, not to accelerate load too quickly. It is why we talk about the journey being so important and coaching on you that some things just can't be rushed and take time. It is also why we have to appreciate the critical supporting habits that mitigate stress accumulation and maximize the chance of positive adaptations. Yes, sleep, fueling, nutrition, easy days, rather than just always training hard. And finally, why we must never forget that stress is stress. And whenever we apply a specific training stress, we don't do so in a vacuum. And the accumulation of stress in the rest of life, be it under eating, poor sleep, travel, emotional stress, that all has an undeniable impact. So yes, we chase adaptations, but we never forget that we must put those adaptations in context and make smart, long-term decisions to maximize positive adaptations. And that is why the word of the week this week is adaptations. Now, let's get on with the meat and potatoes. questions. Yes, there is no single topic this week. We are not going to focus in and go deep diving into a well and talk just about nutrition or fueling or the second half of the season or have a discussion with Des Linden or any of the other guests that we've had. This week, we're going to hear from you, the athletes, and we're going to do a whole show just on your questions. But what I've done is I've filtered through my randomizer which was me reading through and deciding which questions we're going to talk about. And we're just going to identify five questions. This is how we're going to do it. I'm going to read the question and then I'm just going to give you my answer. And it's going to be pretty free flowing. It's going to be pretty dirty. It's going to be a little different, a little less structured, but I hope that you get a little bit of a broad range of some things that maybe you haven't thought about and perhaps It gives you a little bit of education push in your performance journey. So how do we start this thing? I think we need a jingle or maybe I need a sidekick to ask the question at least to try and spice this up. But unfortunately I have neither. So how about this? I am going to read a question and then I'm going to answer it. It is going to be quite simple and my challenge is solved. There are five and I'm going free fall. I hope this works. I've got to be honest. But We'll see where it goes, and I think you'll find it valuable. So, someone give me a drum roll. Okay, here we go, question one. Here is a question, and it is from a purple patch athlete, and so I read it, just as it has been written. Question, I am getting ever closer to my key race, and I'm really enjoying the ramp. At the start of the season, I committed for the first time to add strength and conditioning into the schedule. That's a good thing, by the way. I'm loving it, but I'm finding it ever more tough to get consistent sessions in with the ramp in the endurance demands. Can you give me some thoughts on how to keep it up and to what level without diluting my readiness for Ironman? Well, that is, I would say, a very timely and appropriate question. And I think that the initial shift that should occur in perspective of how you look at strength and conditioning when you're in the heart of race build. So it doesn't matter what sport you're doing, it doesn't matter whether you're a triathlete, whether you're getting ready for a marathon, whether you're getting ready for a riding holiday in Europe, there is a natural transition in my mind from the role in the overall training plan that strength plays. So let's actually go back a little bit and think about this. From and let's talk about it in terms of a northern hemisphere athlete that is on the regular triathlon schedule because look ultimately that's who i deal with so we've talked about race structure before and we can break it down into three main phases post-season pre-season and race specific training so in post-season which for many athletes is somewhere between october and december This is the start in your strength and conditioning where you're identifying and improving your movement patterns, and you're very patiently progressing through those movement patterns. It is the time of the year when you're furthest away from your key races and perhaps has the greatest relative emphasis on strength and conditioning within context of your overall program. So this is where, we look to embed proper movement patterns, we improve synchronization and muscle recruitment. The load is not that great, but we are looking to improve functional movement and at a very global sense, looking to improve your athletic prowess. When we transition to pre-season, that's what we call building block work. So this is where we train hard for the first time. For many athletes that's somewhere between January and May. And this is where we build on the patterns so we're better movements, we're actually really good at performing a squat, performing a lunge, making sure that our deadlift is in a positive sense, accurately executed. But now we start to increase exercise complexity and load. We are truly aiming to strengthen in the classic sense of the phrase. And so this is where we begin to join the dots between strength and the strength-based training that so many endurance athletes would do. So if you're a cyclist, that would be a lot of low cadence, big gear, hill-based riding. If you're a swimming, you'd start to put a little paddles on, you might swim with a parachute. And if you are running, you would do a lot of hill running. If you're a triathlete, you do a combination of all three. So you are still in this phase of training before you are getting ready for your big marathon or big Ironman, you are in the I am getting stronger mindset. So that's a really nice progression and that can take up to six months of your calendar year. But now you are where you're at. You're getting ready for your key race and you're in the race specific season. So once you transition to this part of the year where you're currently training, you shift the mindset and the global approach. While the personality of the exercise patterns doesn't change too, too much, the focus and the placement in the emotional hierarchy does change. So when we're in race builds, we actually shift our lens and we think about the role of strength and conditioning, which I should add includes mobility, functional and dynamic stretching, synchronization, core and stability, all of those fancy, trendy words. But we shift our lens and we think about it at this time of the year, when the bullseye is getting ready for your key races. Strength and conditioning is therapeutic, so keeping the joints and muscles healthy. And we do this with added post-workout things like foam roller and recovery. We also retain an increase in emphasis on joint mobility exercises. Our second mission is to retain the strength gains that we've already made. So once a week, you just want to retain a single strength-focused stimulus so that you don't go backwards and you never want to underestimate the value of not going backwards, whether it's endurance, whether it is your strength gains. So right now, you're not looking to get stronger, but simply not to get less strong. We also want to get explosive, so we can bridge the strength work, the gym-based strength work with a little plyometric work, some explosive movements, some bridge-building speed work in the endurance space. And this would include a flash of high-intensity and high-cadence work on the bike, bounding and strides in the running, and some very, very fast short intervals in swimming. It becomes the bridge between the endurance activity that you're doing and the stuff that you've been doing, as we used to call it in swimming, in dry land. But really what that means is in the gym. And finally, we want to just retain the supporting muscle recruitment. We have to retain core and stability work which engage and recruit muscles that are so critical in retaining posture and movement patterns. Because as major muscles get fatigued, whether you're training for a marathon, whether you're training for an Ironman. When it fatigues, we want to be able to retain good form, retain economy, and keep moving forward. We don't want to become a wet noodle. And so yes, supporting muscle recruitment is really key. So what does this all add up to? Well, in essence, I would retain at least one full strength session a week. This should be a full program scheduled weekly typically partnered now with a supporting run or a supporting swim, and it only needs to be 20 to 30 minutes. And I believe that every athlete can find 20 to 30 minutes to do strength and it places in high value. I would then encourage you to do a couple of core and mobility 10 15 minutes it doesn't need to be in association of a key session it can be front in in front of the television but support stability and synchronization works and ultimately now i think it's a really good thing to align with sessions that are rather key endurance sessions swim bike or run if you're a triathlete rowing if you're a rower simple run if you're a marathon runner you can do it pre or post in either order but I would suggest just simply aligning it with your logistics and what makes you feel or perform best in the endurance work, because that's your bullseye. Once you go through the key race, you take a little break you embrace the joy of starting the process all over again. But the good news is that you will commence next time at a much higher level of progression than where you started this year. And that is all part of the fabric of the performance journey. Now, Question two, guys, I think I need another drum roll because we're gonna shift topics here. Question two, give me a drum roll. Hmm, mediocre drum roll, that. But here we go, question. Question two, I have a question, this is a question, by the way, from another Purple Patch Athlete. I have a question around riding as it is a major focus for me this season. I have my Ironman coming up in 10 weeks from now. So you're getting into crunch time, mate. And a couple of my friends have told me that I should only ride my time trial bike because I have to be familiar with the position. And while I've always loved my road bike and even sprinkled in a little bit of mounted biking while trying to keep safe, they tell me it's time for them to gather dust. What are your thoughts? I'd love to know what you think about the specificity of time trial riding. Well, here's my answer, Captain. The headline news is, I think, in my humble opinion, they're wrong. I believe the road bike offers benefits to triathletes throughout the process of preparation. And the vast majority can even include mountain biking in the process to balance the joy of both riding as well as hone skills. But let me outline the use of different bikes because I think ultimately context is everything. So before you dump your friends, Let me give you a little context. Similar to the strength question here, we have to go back to post-season. So remember, that's the start of the season, that critical block of preparatory training in which the focus is to develop technical skills, habits around posture, and develop integrity of muscles, tendons, and ligaments so that we're ready to absorb the hard work that is going to arrive post-post-season. So in other words, after six to 10 weeks of prep, now we're ready to turn the afterburners on and start to work hard? Well, these six to 10 weeks will have lower training stress, but they also have the greatest opportunity to deviate from the race-specific training and race-specific equipment relative to your question. So this means that you might be hiking and trail running, and on the bike side of equation, There is plenty of chance to go mountain biking and predominantly use your road bike. Your time trial bike can actually be used pretty sparingly, almost gather dust, with most of the use just there to retain a little bit of postural resilience, to develop good habits in that position, and maybe even tweak some positional changes because this is the golden time to change your bike fit. The reasoning behind this approach is the road bike and mountain bike are designed to be much more intuitive machines to ride, so they actually open up a golden opportunity for you to really improve your skills and interactions on the bike. Pedal stroke, cornering, standing, riding in the wind, terrain management, they're all much, much easier to learn and improve on the road bike. So you can then adapt And then align these developed skills when you bring the time trial bike out and you use it more often. Because ultimately, a time trial bike is a machine that is designed to go fast in a straight line. And so if I broke it down in your post-season, if you did three to five bike rides every week, one of them might be on a mountain bike, one might be on a time trial bike, and the rest on a road bike. If you just rode twice a week, I will probably do a mix between road and mountain bike and just bring out the time trial bike every couple of weeks. If we then progress on to pre-season, we have a little bit more of the free range training behind you and this is a transition to hard training work. And the emphasis here tends to be low cadence strength endurance work on the bike, some high cadence to improve neurological conditioning and overall speed. And in this phase, you would want to retain some of the road riding and even utilize some of the very low cadence work, which naturally in the road riding position extenuates the posterior activation and it's much easier to actually get a hold of those hamstrings and glutes in the pedal stroke. And so with this, I would like a greater contribution from your time trial bike, so that we start to develop postural fitness and dial in the first little taste of specific training in that rotated position, but you don't wanna turn your back on the mountain bike and you certainly don't wanna turn your back on that magical road bike. And so if we broke that down, if you are riding four to five times a week, you might have a couple on the road bike and then the rest on a time trial bike. If you're only riding two or three times a week, then you might have one on the road bike and the rest on the time trial bike. But now you get to, in my final long rambling way, we get to race specific, where you're at now. Your friends said, let it get dusty. Well. Once you get into the race specific phase of the season, it is true, your mission evolves and it actually transitions for what I would say in a very butchering sense from building physiology and developing the athlete to race specific training for the demands of the race. And this means that the vast majority of the rides that you want to do are on the bike that you plan to race on in time trial position. And so we develop race-specific personal habits and pedaling dynamics, firm up a control and sustainable riding position, and train the muscles in a race-specific setup. But with all of that said, and this is where your friends missed it, the road bike can still have a role to play because you're going to retain real freshness and interactions, and we want to make sure that we keep a hold of those weekly skills so that we can focus on those interactions. Yeah, sure, not in a key session, but in a supporting or recovery session. And it becomes incredibly beneficial. It's fun, it's more intuitive, and you want to keep fresh and just keep in touch with that standing, cornering, descending interactions. And it is so much easier to keep in touch when you're doing it on a road bike. So as with anything, you use it or you lose it and changing position will allow yourself playtimes with interactions which is ultimately really healthy now the more riding capacity you have the more opportunity to add in the road bike and the same can ultimately be said of the mountain bike i am fine fine honestly with amateur athletes, having a little out of the box thinking when it comes to training, retaining some higher intensity, some mind fresh training, and occasionally lacking even a little bit of a touch of specificity, if it keeps the body and brain alive and prevents staleness. Ask Jesse Thomas, who consistently adds a weekly mountain bike ride every single week of his training, even when he's leading into an Ironman. If you're riding two, three, four, five times a week, allow at least one of those rides to be on the road bike or even the mountain bike. But then yes, to your friend's point, the rest of it should be a time trial bike. I hope that helps the lens. Don't turn your back on the machines that help you improve skills and make riding really fun. And not many athletes ultimately will love riding the time trial bike more than the road bike. One thing to add, If you're listening, if you're listening here, you might be thinking, oh no, I only have a time trial bike, but don't fret, it isn't a prerequisite and it's not a call to action to rush out and purchase a new road bike. With this said, if you are looking to add to the stable and you don't have a road bike, it might be a solid post-season purchase. As ever, actually, if you wanna grab some great independent counsel and advice on the best bike for you, I'd have a chat to my mate, Purple Patch cycling guru, Paul Buick. He knows more than enough about bike selection and the suitability for you. So if you wanna reach out, hey, why don't you do it through questions at purplepatchfitness.com. You can always get a consultation with Paul and we can help you get a brand new road bike. All right, guys, how are we doing so far? It seems I am rambling. Three questions. These are a little shorter, but we're gonna get to them. Okay, here it is. I just finished my Ironman 70.3. That's a half Ironman for you guys, taking somewhere between uh, three hours and 45 minutes for the super speedy weedies, and up to about eight hours or so for the more recreational athletes. But our Purple Patch athletes just finished 70.3 or a half Ironman and had some funny experiences in the fueling department. And interestingly, so did my wife. We both mapped a specific plan and stuck to it, but I had real bloating on the run. She claims to have stuck to the plan, but ran out of energy. What's the best way to revise the approach as we both stuck to our pre-race plans? Well, here's the answer here. It's a two for one actually and a great opportunity for me to answer something that is so often forgotten by athletes. Success in both Ironman racing and Ironman 70.3 racing has as much to do with adapting to situations as it does with planning. Without going into the planning component, your question highlights something that I think is really important for a consideration to race day fueling. You see, success ultimately comes down to how you respond to what happens in the race, rather than how effective your pre-race planning is. So here are a couple of examples that I'm gonna outline to highlight this fact. And this is what it is relating to the question. Imagine if you're riding along or running along and you're feeling lack of motivation, dizzy, weak, lack of focus, confusion, oh, why did I ever do this? Why did I sign up? Your goals dissipate in importance. Well, guess what? This, every time, is a lack of calories. It doesn't matter what your plan says. Your body is asking for calories and quickly. And for this reason, you need to answer the call. So life is not a spreadsheet and your fueling strategy is not a spreadsheet. You don't grab a bite of a bar. Or a little bit of a trail mix as these are going to be slow to absorb you need sugar you're in racing yes sugar is the devil in life but in racing i'm telling you you need sugar and you need it quickly so you want to get the fastest source possible and that might be some form of blocks or chews or yes coca-cola a squeeze of gel whatever you have that will be a quick release of carbohydrates yes support it with hydration, but that dizzy feeling is a tank running on empty. What about on the opposing side? You're running along, you've got bloated stomach, you feel sick, you've got GI issues. Well, you might be sticking to the plan, you might be putting food in your mouth, but guess what, it's not being absorbed. So you need to fix a different problem. You need to dilute these calories and or these electrolytes and get them passing through the stomach. So the way to offset this bloating is move to water or very, very diluted electrolyte solutions. And I would encourage you to avoid calories for 15 to 30 minutes and aim to get things moving in your GI system and then your energy levels will rise. The one thing you can do is rinse carbohydrate. You can rinse a solution, put it in your mouth, get the brain alive, hey, there is energy there but spit it out, don't absorb it. Let the system start to absorb. Of course, your other option, go to the side of the road and puke. But guess what? That's just creating further dehydration. So the best fueling option, if you have to get calories in, would be Coke. But for the most part, drink a little water and let things settle. Here's a final component for you to consider. Sick of your fueling choices. So you might have planned something, but now it just simply sounds disgusting. Well, you can't simply stop fueling. If you're in a race and you say, I always love this specific gel, I love this type of calories. When you're in a race and you're two, three, four, five hours in, things can change. So you have to be flexible and you have to be willing to move to on-course options. And hopefully it's with some products that you've tried before. And ultimately, the right thing for you at that time is not what has the best marketing, it's not who promotes it, but it is what tastes good. And if nothing tastes good, I'll give you the secret. Drink Coke. Drink Coke and take water at every single aid station. A plan is great, but ultimately, knowing how to adapt is much greater. I hope that helps. And now, two questions to go. All right, here we go little drum roll. the question I'm sure you get this all the time well let's see but I'm sure you get this all the time but I'm traveling next week for a combination sort of work vacation holiday and I am worried about spending time with my family but also getting my training in and to be honest my biggest worry is six days with no bike I'm not sure how to make up for the lack of riding well Here's some headline news for you on this, and I think this is really important for you guys, the listeners at home. Number one, most athletes will get sick one to two times a year, and they're gonna miss a week or two of valuable training time. Most athletes will have one to two trips a year where it removes them from quality training environments. And most athletes will have one to two weeks of really poor training due to a niggle, work commitments, loss of motivation, or some other factor. This is the norm, and we must fit these lower quality weeks into about 48 weeks. So assuming a total of about four weeks of no structured training each season, guess what? We as coaches, and actually ultimately as athletes, we should expect it and plan for it. It is the typical pattern for every level of athlete I've ever met. So don't panic. I would first encourage you to plan to enjoy time with your family. But with this said, let's frame success over a little holiday period like this, knowing that family time isn't stress-free for everyone. And so here are the key points that I want to embrace. Number one, rest. If you can get great sleep and downtime from both work and training, it's a good thing. Closing off work, email, and structure is a really powerful element to helping, and this is word, long-term performance. I've yet to meet anyone important enough to have some time without connection. Number two, run a 5K. Make it a family thing, but make it really good fun. Complete freedom without going off plan, but go and do a turkey trot if it were Thanksgiving. Go and find a local 5K, get the family involved. It's good for the soul, it's a fun hit out, and it gets you outside. This isn't a test, it's just simply fun and a chance to stretch the legs in a really fun way. Number three, guess what? You're not gonna miss the bike. Don't worry. And I'd encourage you not to chase around too many gyms with stationary bikes, just don't ride. It's not gonna kill you. Do the feel-good sessions, the fun ones, and do the sessions that give you the most bang for the buck. So if you are gonna have pool access, get in, a technical focus and a high intensity session. If you do have access to a stationary bike one day, do the strength endurance work and the high intensity intervals, and then restart next week. We plan for it, we know it, and it won't matter. Just get back to consistency next week. See, the answer to that folks was pretty much, it's all good, enjoy your vacation, do a few sessions, but next week, be ready to go. All right, the final question, guys, as we wrap up is gonna be one for the nerds. I have a question on wheel choice. I'm planning to keep my current bicycle, which is a 2016 Cervelo P3. I have no association with Cervelo, but I will say that is a very good choice for an amateur athlete, good bike. So here's a 2016 Cervelo P3, and it currently has very shallow, almost training wheels on it, so very shallow rim wheels. My friends tell me that aero wheels are a good upgrade, but I'm not sure which path to head in. I'm five foot six, I'm an okay rider, but I'm not overly confident in handling. With this in mind, I'm planning on racing on lots of types of courses, and I want to ensure that I'm as aero as possible. So I wanna take advantage of every second. I know it's tough to know what brand, and I know that you don't have an association with brands for that reason but do you have any thoughts well firstly i'll say to this is it's really refreshing to hear that you're not in hunt of the greatest and latest on bike frame good choice it's a good bike it's dependable it's easy to manage it's easy to work on and it's more than aero enough to serve you well for several more years tangentially i would say that way too many athletes particularly triathletes are really pulled to purchase the brand new super bikes as they're called but then they become stuck with very expensive frames that aren't suited to riding and are highly challenging to travel with and or maintain so i'd actually say and this is a non-compensated endorsement but your p3 is a good example of a good solid bike choice, and you can ride it in almost any triathlon course and in all conditions. But I know that wasn't your question. Well, first, let's first discuss marketing. You see, the Triathlon Riding Cycling and Wheel companies are notorious, I have to say, for marketing around wind tunnel data with every new product that I see has been tested as the fastest piece of equipment. Many have even had breakthroughs on new features such as teardrop-shaped fine edges to wheels only to have another breakthrough a couple of years later which then reverts them back close to the original design. In other words, much of the aerodynamic testing around wheels, frames, bottle placements, etc. is pretty much in place. As a consumer, I would suggest that your best option is to find equipment that is dependable, comfortable to use, and performs well in many conditions. And when we're talking about wheels, this is a good area to focus on to upgrade your bike but your criteria focus should be around aerodynamics in headwinds, crosswinds, and variable terrain. From there, you wanna choose a set of wheels that are built well and dependable. So the only other consideration is the design of wheel to carry the appropriate tire size. So let's talk about that, and then we'll talk about the front wheel and the back wheel tire size so a few years ago it was very trendy to get smaller and smaller tires for bicycle edging towards 19 centimeter tires it's now become clear that the greater contact area of 25 or even 28 centimeter tires is not only smoother and they handle better but it's also faster yep we've shown that thanks aerodynamic testing and other things like that this is great except not all frames can accommodate wider tires and will ultimately rub not such a good thing so just be aware that you ensure that you're getting the right wheels and the right tires to go on it that will interact with your bike well now let's talk about the depth of wheel in general you'll want to be comfortable in every condition so you don't just choose the wheel which is quote more aero in fact if you had to choose one set of wheels Judging by your question, I would probably lean into your front wheel being more shallow, somewhere between about 30 to 50 millimeters. And the reason for a more shallow front wheel is that this wheel is the one that is most influenced by windy conditions. So if you do have gusty winds or crosswinds, your bike is gonna move around a lot and you're gonna be shifted by that interaction with the front wheel. Your body weight is weighing down the rear And so a deeper front wheel is gonna move more and most people most triathletes are not comfortable with that sensation and so ultimately you might end up spending more time in a fear-based protective position out of the aero bars and guess what that ain't more aero and so instead choose something that is faster aero but a little more shallow and then it won't cause you to strangle the handlebars in fear yes pragmatic the rear wheel this is where you can afford to go a little deeper because with a single set of wheels I would be hesitant on saying let's go out and go, go all arrow and get a 70 or 80 millimeter wheel I'd be more inclined to be pragmatic and choose something just a little deeper than the front somewhere around 40 to 60 millimeters this is going to ensure that you've got a nice fast wheel set but you retain comfort and you're not actually dragging the extra weight up very hilly courses. You see, it's a complete myth that the front and back wheels should be the same depth. They shouldn't. Your front wheel can be shallow because it doesn't have your body weight on it. With your booty on the back, it can be a little deeper, and therefore, a little more aero. What companies do I like? Well, I'm not gonna mention too many companies. I'm not gonna go down those lines, but... More expensive is not better, and there are lots of fantastic wheel building companies that has some very competitive prices that have longevity, will serve you well for years. And so I encourage you to have an open mind, don't think that more expensive is better, and we'll take it from there. All right, guys, well, we went on the journey, we answered questions, and I think I went on a little bit of a ramble, but I hope that helps, I hope it was intriguing. I'm just about to get onto a plane. I'm heading to South Carolina. I'm excited to go and meet so many more of the Purple Patch athletes. In fact, I'm even going to get to meet for the first time a couple of my new individually coached athletes, which is going to be fantastic. And I promise you, we're going to keep you up to speed with what's going on at camp. Again, follow us at Purple Patch Fitness on Instagram and we'll give you some updates there. And in addition, don't forget if you've got questions, anything around performance, sleep, travel, whatever you'd like me to answer, questions at purplepatchfitness.com and we will go forth and conquer and do our best to answer. Until next time, Matt Dixon signing off. Take care.